Hey, this is Brandon McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 24 of the Kobe Bryant Podcast. Kobe Bryant Episode. Or we could just call it the Kobe Bryant Podcast, too. Just talk about- I think we should. We'll start a separate Kobe Bryant podcast. Yeah. Just to be clear that we're not talking about Kobe Bryant on this episode. It is because it is the number 24 episode Absolutely. of the season. Just that, so we're on this. Just so we're all on the same page. That is Sam Cohn you heard from and, and Sam Newman is with us as well. Kyle Gauss is off this week. Couldn't be with us. Uh, happy to be back. I'm talking to all of you about Temple Sports, primarily Temple basketball. Got a little bit of football to talk as well. Uh, plenty of mailbag questions to answer. Appreciate those as well. Guys, how you doing? Honestly, pretty good. Uh, Sam, before you hopped on, I was telling John, I've had, a, I've had a long week of school stuff. I In all five of my classes, I have had a project or presentation to do this week. So I'm on the other side now that I've submitted my project for Professor DiCarlo's class, and I am... Mm-hmm. I'm out. I'm out the other side. So I'm. I'm happy we're near the weekend. But overall, yeah. I'm, I'm doing well. I submitted that earlier this afternoon. Had the, <laughs> one last. Had the uh, secure one last interview uh, and get that down. So I, I, I guess I'm. I'm on the same page as you. I've had a lot in my class. I wouldn't say I've had a project doing every class, but uh, you know, I've been busy here and there. But happy to be back talking with you guys. Both of you guys got your work done well ahead of time, which I would expect nothing less. So. Appreciate that. We'll we'll go over your your stories and the and the podcast uh, in our five thirty p.m. advanced sports reporting class at Temple's the night, communication. The night before or the morning of constitutes as well ahead of time these days. <laughs> hey, it's 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 better, better than five twenty nine. Yeah, exactly. It's better than five twenty nine. Five thirty. It's fine, and we're gonna go over everyone's stories tonight in class. Kind of just digest the coverage and have some fun with it. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's on time on time i didn't need it a week ahead of time but uh yeah good stuff guys so uh temple did something last night that it hadn't done since january 26 which is win a basketball game so they snapped a six game losing streak they're now five and ten after being usf 65 47 uh in the second game of what are becoming these home and home series uh that have become necessary due to covid and scheduling so again temple's five and ten now um, you know, it sounds so incredibly simple, but, you know, for a team that is looking to rebuild, looking to tinker with the starting lineup, um, whether that's, you know, replacing, uh, Caleb battle with Damian Dunn, because Damian Dunn has now missed three games with a knee injury, whether that's bringing in, uh, Nick Jordan into the starting lineup and playing him 30 minutes and, and getting three blocks from him and a couple of, a couple of threes, you know, all of you who are listening and are temporal fan, temple fans know, where this program is and where it is not right now. And they're not where they want to be yet, but a lot of new faces, a lot of reshuffling. They just needed to win in the worst way. They got 22 points from Caleb battle, uh, two other players in double figures. Jeremiah Williams had 11, Dre Perry had 11 and um, you know, JP Mormon came off the bench was pretty efficient in 24 minutes off the bench. Brendan Barry played 28 minutes off the bench, but um, they needed, they needed something to, really just to stop the bleeding and, um, you know, something to really just feel good about themselves. I mean, they needed that. So, uh, I mean, your thoughts on the game guys. 
So yeah, I, I'll take the reins on this one. Sam was occupied last night, but uh, he's he's better at breaking this stuff down than I am. But what is what uh, is, when he says occupied, it makes it sound like I was doing something bad. Yeah, <laughs> no, he the was, word, he the was word a... occupied. I was uh, I signed up for a it's like a three week um, Zoom uh, writing workshop with a Red Sox beat writer. It's like three oh, weeks, right. then you get a one on one session, and it happened to be last night at seven or Wednesday night at seven o'clock. Okay. That was why I wasn't able to cover the game. Fortunately, my partner in crime, Carolina Sam, was able to take the reins. No, so did, when didn't he uses the word, you were up to anything suspicious. When he uses the word <laughs> occupied, I don't want any assumptions being made. Yes. Anyway. Keep it right. yeah. Anyways, there was a basketball game played last night. Um. So, yeah, they, <laughs> in the first half, they, they kind of took control of the game, and USF kind of came back. It was like a 21-12 at one point, and it kind of looked like Temple was going to run away with it. But UFC kind of chomped to the bit, and you figured, okay, they're primed to make a second half run. Temple goes into the – um, halftime 30 up 34 30 they played pretty well defensively Caleb Battle looked good but it was they were still doing the same things that they did in the last game they just said it, they were able to take the lead Battle would score a basket then they would lapse on defense and so on and so forth but uh, USF wasn't really able to hit their shots and and I mean they were rebounding they had they grabbed 11 first half offensive boards and it didn't really I mean and they were still down by four so and in the break I mean Kale Battle talked about it they they kind of just wanted to put their foot in the gas and, and come out in the first five minutes and, and really attack and they did um they I think they had a lead as much as 21 at one point their shooting was much better um they went on a couple of scoring droughts at, at one point but but I think that they really you know they were much more patient in the shots that they were getting the spacing was a lot better um, I mean, Caliph was a lot more disciplined. I think we've talked about the fact that, you know, his shooting percentage hasn't been the best. Kyle, I, th- I believe, put out a stat, but he was 9 of 15 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, which is better from him. Added six rebounds, four assists. Um, Jeremiah Williams, he had 11. I mean, he had back-to-back three-pointers, but he still went 3 of 11 from the field. But what he was able to do on the defensive end um, and, and also out in rebounds and assists, I mean, I think I put this in my game story, but he helped, you know, in part hold the UFC – um, trio of, of guards that they the UF UFC uh, USF trio of guards. They uh, <laughs> went thirteen of thirty three. Ultimate fight. <laughs> from, they were in the octagon last night. <laughs> they were uh, they were so they went thirteen of thirty three fields and they went to war up. last night. We're just we're just doing whatever we can to rattle poor Carolina. <laughs> really <laughs> are. <laughs> Anyways, they went 13 to 33 from the field and they turned over the ball nine times. So, I mean, the defense was, was pretty stagnant there. Um, I think noticeably Jake Forrester really didn't do much, but they weren't really need him to Nick Jordan was impressive. JP Mormon was kind of a, came with like a vengeance off the bench and, and really delivered a spark. Dre Perry, you know, he was in there and provided what he needed to, but, and, and even Brandon, Brandon Barry didn't play particularly well. I mean, I don't think he, he scored any points um, from deep, but he had some nice passes uh, and overall, but I, I mean, you know, what I'm glossing over here, the story of the game is, is the, just the defense that they play the zone defense. They look great. Um, they, they talked about fronting the post a lot and that's what they did. Um, it helped that USF, their best player. I'm, I'm probably not going to say his name correctly because I'm terrible at name pronunciation, but Alexis Yenta uh, yet. No. Yeah, no. Yeah. So he, he went down in the five minutes remaining in the first half and, and they really took advantage of his absence. I mean, Michael Thur was, I just couldn't really do much of anything. So, I mean, you know, Nick Jordan in there has really, I think really helped their defense in the um, interior a lot. Um, And the fact that they held USF to 17 second half points is, is very impressive. 
Um, and, and, and I mean, they shot 28% from the field. They turned over the ball 17 times. I think there's a lot of encouraging signs, but I think this is from this game. This is the team that, that, that what Aaron McKee strive for. And this is the team that we expected to see where they play stagnant defense, you know, and, and they are able to shoot the ball at a better clip. The reason why they lose these games is they can either do one or the other. And finally had a complete game, even though that they went on separate scoring droughts. Sam, question. And that's literally everything that everybody did. Question, a question for you. Fine, go ahead. Question for you, Boston Sam. Again, let's, you know, Shoot. at the end of the day, they needed a win. They didn't beat Villanova here. They didn't beat Baylor. Uh, but they did beat a team that they just faced a couple of days ago. And we know how tough that is when you know, you're, you're being a conference opponent. You're being a conference opponent that has a lot of tape on you. And then they have tape on you from just a couple of days ago. Yes. You know, Yetna was out. Temple, of course, was also missing Damian Dunn. Um, you know, trying to put this in perspective again, not trying to make USF out to be anything that they they are not. But I mean, did this kind of did this impress you a little bit that they were able to bounce back like this? Again, they had their own scoring droughts, as Sam pointed out. There's still plenty of stuff that Temple needs to work on. But to to win this game by 18 points, to do it on the road again against the team that that just beat you. Um, to make some adjustments and again, like fronting the post and not letting getting to hurt them too much while he was in there. Uh, is this a, is this a, a decent step forward for them? Again, not trying to overly inflate this, but were you impressed with what they did last night? Well, I'm, I'm impressed because they won by 20. Um, but again, a win like this comes from, as you said, making adjustments. The fact they played USF three days, UFC, the fact they played USF three days prior, uh, they were able to, which was a close game, but they were able to take what they did wrong and turn that into fixing things and making adjustments. And uh, something that we've talked about before is like Aaron McKee has said in a season like this, it's not, it becomes less about with schedule changes. And I don't know how much you relate this to this, but it kind of is along the similar, similar lines of it becomes more about what you can do to improve inward and within your team and make adjustments and make improvements. And I think that's clearly a lot of what Temple's been able to do within the last three games, just with Damian Dunn out, like, inserting Caleb Battle in the starting lineup, inserting Nick Jordan in the starting lineup, giving him 30 minutes against USF on the road. This was his second career start. Um, so making adjustments like that on the fly within a couple of days, I think is probably the most impressive thing from this win. And the other thing I wanted to add is that we had talked about prior to the start of the season, if this Temple team is going to win games, if they're going to pull out wins against solid conference opponents, the way they're going to do it is by equal dis- equal. Well, is like by uh, distributing the ball well throughout the offense, having different guys score, having different guys put points on the board, looking different ways. And in a lot of their losses, it's because Damian, like they're looking too deeply at Damian Dunn to be the one to score the ball, or they're looking too much at Caleb Faddle to be the one to score the ball. Caleb Faddle had 22, and he had a great night shooting the ball comparative to the last couple nights that he's had shooting the ball, where his percentages haven't been as great. But they have four guys scoring double figures. And then Nick Jordan also gives you another two threes against USF. Like that's a really like they're spreading the ball out a lot more. And the fact that Brendan Barry still didn't score, like if you add him into, into the mix, if he had hypothetically had a better night, they score maybe 70, 75 points, whatever it may be. So I think the most impressive part of this win is a, a lot of things. It seemed like a lot of things came together while I was occupied and it seemed like they were able to, they were able to make a lot more things happen. They were able to, um, Sam, you had mentioned they, were, they had a lead at the half and then they ran away with that lead in the second half. In the last couple of games, they have struggled in the first half and figured things out in the second half. 
So the fact they were able to put together a solid first half, go into the locker room with a lead and then like keep their foot on the gas throughout the second half, I think says more about they're just putting a lot of pieces together and they're still figuring out how to play 40 minutes of great, of good basketball together. But it, Nonetheless, this is a step in the right direction. Sam, to just go off the point you just made about Barry not scoring, I thought Temple, that this was the first time they actually did a good job of getting him open looks. He had open looks. They just didn't fall, unfortunately. Sometimes that's how it goes with a shooting stroke. But I think that also talked about your point where, you know, this is they were actually able to well distribute the basketball. And this is what happens. And imagine when they get Damian Dunn back, how, you know, that'll be too. And Aaron talked about it. You know, we want to get shots out of Caleb Battle. want to get 15 shots Damian Dunn and these guys are decision makers or table setters you know or distributors and that sort of stuff I'm interested to see how the three of them are going to be able to play together the three of them I mean Jeremiah Williams and there too who who Caleb Battle referred to as his court general but I think that's a good problem to have and I mean if they're able to distribute the ball like they did last night I, I mean this is those will equate to more wins obviously let's talk about Caleb Battle for a second because this is something that we needed to see out of him last night because you know, he gets the, the career high 32 points the other night, uh, the other day against USF. But, you know, I mean, it sounds like we're being nitpicky, but I think everybody kind of knows this, you know, he got 32, but he, he needed 22 shots to get it. Um, yes. He had 10 rebounds. Yes. He had five assists, but he had five turnovers and it's very clear that he still needs to work on his ball handling. I don't know if he's ever going to be a, a, I think at times he wants to be a ball dominant guard. And I think in the future, I think he would be better coming off screens or getting out in transition. He can obviously shoot the heck out of the ball, but there, there were a lot of things in a 32 point effort and a 32 point 10 rebound effort that he did wrong the other night. And it came in a loss um, last night was a lot more efficient, a heck of a lot more efficient, um, you know, going nine and 15, three of seven from three. Now he did have four turnovers and we won less, but just played a much, much better game. I think after the, after the recent loss, I think he said, we're going to be ready. You know, he is kind of mechanical and cliche with his answers, but he said, we're going to be ready. And, um, and he was, and Nick Jordan was, and um, again, I know I keep saying this. I don't want to overemphasize what this, this win is, but they needed something and they showed me something last night where I thought, okay. And I agree with you, Sam Newman, like they did get Brendan Barry some looks. It's a shame that, you know, it's taken them a while and he just couldn't get the looks down, but you know, every team's going to defend them differently. They've got two games left before the conference tournament, but you know, we saw some, we saw some good signs uh, last night, uh, a couple of other notes to pass along. Again, if you follow Kyle on Twitter, he had a bunch of good stats after the game as he typically does. Um, and I'm just reading out some of these tweets here. Um, and this, this first one pertains to Caleb battle after shooting just 28%, which was 23 of 82 from the field in the first seven games of his temple career. Caleb battles made 48% of his attempts over the last three games. And that's including, you know, two games ago, he's averaging 25 points a game over that stretch. So again, as, as Aaron and other people have noticed, he can flat out score the ball. Um, a few others to pass along the only freshmen in the nation that are averaging at least nine points, four assists and a steal per game while also turning the ball over fewer than two times a game. How's that for the level of detail are Jeremiah Williams and Florida state, Scotty Barnes and Scotty Barnes was the, was the number seven player in the 2020 class. So that's some good company for Jeremiah. Um, five owls hit at least two, three pointers each last night. The first time a temple team has done that since uh, back on December 4th of 2002 against Charlotte. Uh, and that was a stretch of 598 straight games without accomplishing that feat. Um, 
was also the first time Temple has held the conference opponent to fewer than 50 points since Temple beat USF 61 to 48 uh, back on February 4th of 2015. And uh, since joining the American Temple has held a conference opponent to fewer than 50 points four times, three times it's been against USF. So again, uh, a lot of good stuff there. Some good stuff from Nick Jordan. Temple's blocked just 31 shots this season. That is the fewest of any team in the American by 10. Uh, they, they pale in comparison to a team like Memphis, who's leading the, the conference in block shots. Nick Jordan has nine of those block shots and he had three last night. Sam, we were talking about this, what, a couple nights ago in our, in our group chat. And one of you said, wow, it sounds like John has a lot to get off his chest on the, on this week's episode of the scoop. And we were talking about, you know, a lot of fans. There was one guy who reached out to you in particular, Sam Cohn and, and said, well, that, yeah, they've got some good guard play, but they need a rim protector. And um, he said, I don't know that the Jordan is that guy, Nick Jordan's pretty intriguing. And you, you've, you've talked about how you think he has a higher ceiling than a guy like, like Jake Forrester, We've seen that he can pop out and hit some threes, but we've also seen that, you know, he can flush the ball down and, and, you know, just blocking three shots last night, having just any presence there. Um, can we see, I mean, what, what do you, what do you see from him? You, you, you wrote about him in the, in the, the article that you wrote a few days ago about the, the future of the program. Uh, is this more, again, I'm not also not trying to overemphasize what Nick Jordan has done. It's not like he's going out and averaging a double, double night and was a McDonald's all American, but you know, Temple was hoping that they, they got an athletic steal in him, a guy that was a self-described project, as you've said. Is he really starting to turn the corner here, Sam, and make some of the progress that you hoped he would make? Absolutely, I think so. Um, again, don't want to overstate what he's done in just a handful of games. He's played in maybe eight, nine games. I don't know the number off the top of my head. Eight or nine games this season. He's seen a lot of DNPs. He's seen a lot of garbage minutes. But it took him – 14, 13 games into the season, and now he started back-to-back, and he's showing why he's starting back-to-back, both, as I had mentioned in the piece that I wrote, that it's it's likely due to he had a really good week in practice. He's earned his ability to, to figure things out. Hale Fowl said post-game uh, a couple nights ago that um, there will be times in uh, in practice where Nick Jordan will have his way on the glass and he'll knock down shots and he'll, the, the interior will be his. You got to go through Nick Jordan if you want a bucket or nights where Quincy Adam McCoya in practice will hit eight threes. And he said, it takes time. It's because he said, you know, I was, this is Caleb Fowl speaking. I was a freshman at one point. I went through that. Everybody goes through that as a freshman. You start to figure things out and put things in a, into practice on the floor in games. And Nick Jordan is absolutely turning that corner. As you mentioned, um, I think, I, you had mentioned that I said he could be, he's a higher ceiling than Jake Forrester. And kind of what I meant by that was uh, when he first came in, my understanding of his game, which I admit was slightly off, whatever, um, was he was going to be more of like a Dre Perry type guy, the kind of guy that would get up and down on the wing that would more so be a three or four that they could let like get up in fast breaks, uh, can play in the interior, but more so they want him to, they want him to stretch the floor. Um, clearly that's not exactly what he was doing. Uh, much of his game up to this point, uh, has been banging down low, has been getting rebounds, has been, you know, defending the, uh, defending the basket, being an interior defender, playing with his back to the basket, which is a really similar style of play to what Jake Forrester does. I think they're both very similar players. The one caveat is that Nick Jordan in a matter of, I'll say two starts, 12 games, whatever you want to call it 
has knocked down four threes. Jake Forrester has taken, I don't think, a single three, and he's taken less than three shots beyond 10 feet. And has, Jake Forrester was – I was going to say, and Stats tried to give him a three last night. <laughs> Jake Forrester not because you were occupied, though. I was occupied. Um, Jake, Jake Forrester's oh, had this – I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Jake Forrester's a huge presence for them in the interior and a, and a big part of what they do uh, when he's able to stay on the floor – but he hasn't been able to develop much of a jump shot. And they've looked for him in certain sets to try to expand his game, but it just hasn't happened in almost two years now. Whereas Nick Jordan has been able to find it in just a matter of a couple of games of playing serious minutes and getting those looks. So I would say that from the sample size that we've seen, I think that Nick Jordan does probably have a higher ceiling of being a similar player to, to Jake Forster with the caveat of being able to stretch the floor when he needs to. And then when you introduce someone like Sage Tolbert into that lineup or whoever this mystery transfer big is, maybe like that opens up so much more for the offense. And I think Nick Jordan's only going to get better just because he's shown in talking to him that we've said it a hundred times that he's a self-described project. Like he, the first, the first step to getting better is realizing that you're not great. Once you realize you're not great and you got a ways to go, that's when you get better. And he's shown that his work ethic is really, really strong getting shots up after every after every game and, and earning those minutes and earning that court time has been admirable. So last week I, I'd said to you guys, um, you know, if, if a Temple fan came to you and said, are they headed in the right direction? And if so, you know, what would your reasoning be there? Yeah, you said they are. Uh, Sam Newman, you said they were. I think Kyle said yes. You know, Sam Cohn, you said Rome wasn't built in the day using a, 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 a tidy little cliche there, but, um, and then of course you, you had the, you know, the story that you wrote the other day for our subscribers. And um, it was kind of funny. One of, one of our subscribers had said, had, had picked out one of the last line of your story where, you know, the line is like the potential for uh, a bright future is there. And I said, Hey, in the interest of full disclosure, I edited that. I think your original line was the future looks bright or there, the, there's a bright future there. Um and, you know, I, I sometimes I, I'm, I'm certainly not out on Aaron and I certainly don't think they're they're headed in the wrong direction. But again, you've seen some things that have concerned them, <clears throat> excuse me, and they're not out of the woods on on turnovers and they are going through some growing pains. But if we do kind of hit the reset button on this, albeit just two games later, again, there's a lot of great depth in, in Sam's reporting. If you want to check out the story that he did, but it does seem like so far. Um, minus obviously the wins they're five and 10, you know, the, the most they could be is seven and 10 heading into the conference tournament. We have a mailbag question about this. I don't think they're going to schedule any additional games, um, but we're starting to see what we need to see from some of these guys. You, you, you've seen something tangible from, from Damian Dunn. Certainly you've seen something tangible from Caliph battle. You've seen, you know, I don't know that we knew quite what to expect from Jeremiah Williams. We knew, we knew he was a tough Chicago point guard or a guy that had played some point, played some two guard. Um, he's looked better than we might've expected. And the fact that you're seeing anything from Nick Jordan and that Aaron has been kind of liberal enough to say, all right, I'm going to start this guy, JP, you're going to sit, not necessarily anything you did. Are, are you starting to see enough where you feel good about saying again, granted it's one win, but are you starting to see enough where you're saying, okay, yeah, maybe they could win these last two games and head into the conference tournament with a little bit of momentum. You still feel this week, the way you did last week for both of you guys. I think they're headed in the right direction, but I wouldn't make any bold statements that they're going to go into the conference tournament and win a couple straight and find their way into the tournament. I don't think they're there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think maybe they make it out of the first round, depending on who their matchup is. 
But if they're one of the bottom seeds, they're probably going to play, you know, SMU or Memphis or Houston, which probably wouldn't go well. But I think in the grand scheme of things, they are headed in the right direction. And I've said this for when you, I mean, when you look at this season as a whole, it's hard to make and to pass any long for me, at least it's hard to pass any long-term judgments on what teams are able to accomplish because they didn't have a preseason. They had a delayed season and they had sporadic practices for the first third of their season. So essentially you're giving a team two, uh, two thirds of a season to figure out how to play together when you have nine new guys in a rotation Mm -hmm. and you're figuring out a lot of these pieces. So the way I see it is they were able to make a couple things work. They were able to be in a lot of these games while taking 10, 15 fewer shots than opponents. If they don't turn the ball over that many times, they're getting equal number of shots. I think they win a lot of these games. They're right there in the rebounding battle, maybe not on the offensive glass, and they're letting letting a lot more offensive rebounds than they probably should, and they're turning the ball over a lot more than they should. My point is that they're they're showing glimpses of a lot of things that make me believe that when you look at this team next year with a what we hope is a normal off season with a really good recruiting class coming in with a year under their belt with guys starting to turn the corner and figure out how to play together. Aaron McKee, understand this group a little bit better. I think that all those signs point to the future is bright on North broad, but I can't see the future. I don't have a time machine. I don't have a DeLorean. As much, so as much as, much as, as I want wish. one, as much as you I, DeLorean, what's that? It's fuel. <laughs> Throwing the banana was, fuel from there. Exactly. When I was getting my first car, when I was like six, well, let me rephrase that. When I, for most of my life, I was telling myself when I'm 16 and I get my first car, I'm buying a DeLorean. I'm not a DeLorean. I'm buying a flux capacitor on the internet and putting it in the back of my car. And I never did. But again, I don't have a time machine. Where do you get a flux capacitor on the internet? Probably either Amazon or I would just make one. And I just didn't do either of those things. Hmm. Sam, Sam, would have been cool. You was obsessed with Back to the Future, Sam Cohn, or no? Well, we no, uh, my no, uh, unfortunately not. I think it's a great movie. I, I don't really have a movie that like I I'm obsessed over. I mean, you're obsessed with Oasis, but you're not. Obsessed yeah, with I, my, yeah, no. The only movie that I can like that I'll watch anytime it's on and could probably tell you as much about Sam could well probably not as much, but maybe like a little bit of super bad. That's the one movie like every time it's super bad. terrific. Yeah. Another a classic movie that I've seen over and over again with my dad, one of our favorites that we watch together all the time is Fletch. Love that movie. Oh, Fletch. See, you guys have, you guys have old souls. I can respect that you're reaching, you're reaching into the eighties for Fletch and back to the future. Fletch is so uh, good. Yeah. Sam reaches into the, the nineties for Oasis. One of the worst sequels of all time though. Yeah. Sorry. I haven't even seen the, the sequel to Fletch. It's so bad. Yeah. Um, Don't do it. The scene where he goes to the proctologist and he starts singing moon river is just as, is tremendous. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is great. Anyway, Sam Newman, you're on board with, with Sam Cohn here. You think things are yeah. headed in the right direction, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, I think I said the same thing last week, and I had I had no reason for that. I mean, they went one and one since we last talked, and um, they kind of wrote their wrongs last night. But um, no, I have no reason not to believe that they're not headed in the right direction. I think you have to look at it in in a vacuum. The fact that, like as Sam mentioned, this is an, a year like any unlike any other. They were not allowed to get the development and get that trans that proper transition coming from high school to college and get these guys acclimated. That just didn't happen. And then finally, when they're able to get them on the court, you had pauses, you had, you know, this that, and the other, and they've done like knock on wood, they've done a good job of, of keeping that. And the rest of the American has kind of just been like, 
you know, dealing with the COVID issues of their own. So Temple's had this, you know, had games canceled here, whatnot, had the schedule, games 48 hours in advance, that sort of stuff. So they've had a lot of thrown at them. Um, and as Aaron has mentioned, I mean, they, you know, they're learning how to win. Um, a lot of these guys haven't been on teams that are, have been winners. I mean, yeah, JP and, and Dre, like, were in a playing game of the tournament, but they were, I mean, they were sophomores back then. And, and they weren't, like, they were contributors, but they didn't play as many minutes as they did now. So there's not a lot of that winning the, they're learning how to win because not a lot of these guys know how to do that at the collegiate level. So I think that has to, everything that's happening right now has to be taken with a grain of salt to be like, okay, like let's look at the good things. Obviously the bad things are something that needs to be taken care of. Like the turnovers are inexcusable. And last night we saw what they can do when they don't turn over the basketball, they got to get better at rebounding. They have to do better at, at you know, some maybe like running plays so to get their players open, like Brandon Barry and that sort of stuff and in-game adjustments. But I think everybody is learning on the fly. And I think they're doing, you know, I think they're doing the best job that they can. Obviously that, you know, we, we've mentioned that, that things need to get, there are certain things that need to get better and they have time to fix these things. I think we would be sitting here and, and be called homers. If you think that I, I would say that, Hey, yeah, Temple's going to go to um, the tournament and they're going to win it and they're going to end up in, in, playing in March. Like, I, I think, yeah. Can, can they sneak in and win? Can they sneak into the um, American tournament and maybe win one or two games? Sure. But like, you know, and any team can get hot, but I, but I think Aaron wants his team to go in there and, and make some noise and hopefully like, you know, they can use it as, as valuable experience going forward. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, from where we were last week, I don't think much has changed, but I think, you know, last night showed you what this team can do when they put it all together. And that's like the vision that Aaron has to where they can be a defensive nightmare for opposing teams. And that's what you get when you're bringing in, you know, what they were hoping for when they brought in all these guys and having, you know, a big guard like Jeremiah Williams. And, you know, they're still waiting to get Sage Tolbert back, but then you have Zach hits who can you play probably play the two through four. And, um, and then you have guys like Hasir Miller, who's a pretty strong defensive player. So I, I think, that's where they wanted their bread and butter to be. And, and it's taken some time to, to really tone in that def- defense. Cause when you're turning the ball over 17 times a game and you're, and you're getting 15 less shots, of course, you're going to be giving up, you know, 70, 80 points and, and getting out rebound on the, on the offensive glass. But I think, I think that you got to look at this team through the lens of what they're going to do defensively. And if they're able to do that defensively, I think they'll be able to, to be strong suited down the, down the stretch, because I think, I think that's always been Aaron's mindset is to build a defensive, a defensive minded team. I mean, if you look kind of at how they were last year and going into this year, and and it's been hard because you have young players who need to learn on the fly how to play defense because you know that I, there's certain, it's, it's all varies at what you're taught at the high school level. Like Aaron has mentioned, he wants Quincy to get better on, on defense. He wants Caleb to get better on defense, but then you have somebody like Jeremiah Williams, who's from Simeon, a tough guard, who's already way more advanced. And then Caleb, who's, you know, what, two or one or two years older than him and, and more advanced than Quincy is the same age. So there are the developments all, all over the place a little bit, but I think you'll start to see, I think we can all see the seeds being planted and, and that's the most important thing here. So last night, here's a clip from Aaron McKee talking to reporters after last night's game. And he's talking a little bit about, you know, the, the, the six game losing streak and then learning how to win and what that's been like for this program. So here's Aaron McKee talking to reporters last night after that win down in Tampa over USF. Yeah, we're, we're learning, you know, we're learning how to win and it's, it's not easy, especially, you know, when you're playing a lot of young guys, uh, Jeremiah Williams played 34 minutes and Caleb battle played 34 minutes Nick Jourdain played 29 minutes. Um, 
you know, we, we're asking a lot of young guys to do a lot of big things for us out there. Um, it's going to take a lot of experience, um, but they're gaining it and, and they're comfortable with it. So the more experience I can give those guys, I, I think it'll be better for our program moving forward. But I, I'm excited. Anytime you get a win, the feeling is always good. Never, you know, when you're losing. But I think, you know, we're learning from 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 our losses and, and hopefully, you know, we keep, you know, building and getting better. All right. So speaking of Temple's future, um, Carolina Sam mentioned Hasir Miller, the point guard from Newman Goretti coming in, and also Zach Hicks, the, uh, I guess, wing guard from Camden Catholic. Both these guys have been playing very well so far in their high school seasons. Uh, Sam Cohn, you had the opportunity to talk recently with John Brennan. He's, uh, he's been on our podcast before, assistant coach at Newman Goretti. Uh, we know, again, that, that Hasir has been playing very well, had the triple-double and a one-point overtime loss to an Archbishop Wood team that has several D1 prospects. Um, you know, and uh, what do you have, 30-12 and 10 in that game? Something ridiculous. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. So started a little slow. I've noticed that in a couple of his games. I haven't been able to see him in person, but I watch as many of his games as I can on YouTube. And um, we'll, we'll in a couple of games to start a little slow. We'll kind of drive in, kind of test the environment in there. And a couple of times he's had a shot block. I think that's maybe the one concern about his game is he is about six feet, six one, and is going to have to find a way to get past guys. But he is tough. He is determined. And then he obviously really, really picked things up. Um, you know, against. You know, Rizal Diggins wasn't really guarding him much of the time, but you've got him, you've got Shepard, Randolph, those guys. It's a pretty loaded wood team. He's playing really well. What did John Brennan tell you about how how he's playing so far? How Fabe, as he's as he's known, as his nickname is playing so far? So if you've read anything I've written on uh, on a Sear Miller, if you've listened to our podcast, you know that I mean he's a proven scorer and he's a really good defender and he's the the epitome of what it means to be a Philly tough guard. He's a little bit undersized, but that means nothing to him because he fights for everything on every single play. He's a really hard worker. Uh, so with that being said, I talked to John Brennan and I basically asked him like, listen, we've, we've had co- multiple conversations think dating back to late spring over the summer, the fall kind of where his game was progressed. And I asked him like, what, where, where is his game at now compared to the last time we talked? What's something that he's really improved on? He said that, uh, which it's funny, John, it's funny you mentioned that he's had slower starts when he's getting into the into the pain, getting the interior, kind of feeling out what he's able to do against certain defenses. Um, Brennan had mentioned that he doesn't exactly have a stat for it, but when he drives into the lane, he's gotten a lot better at going off two feet and drawing contact, at getting into the interior, feeling out the defense, as you had mentioned, and then lamp, planting on two feet and going up with it in the contact he said he's had at least one or two and ones almost every game they've played. So that's really kind of the biggest thing that he's improved about his game. He said, he, of course, he's worked on everything, but that was really the one thing that stood out to him this season that he's added to his to his bag, uh, being able to score the ball in the interior, going off two feet, draw contact, and get and one opportunities. Um, and the quick thing I want to mention about Zach Hicks, uh, I had read a little bit about him. So he, and that's another guy that Temple's bringing in the 2021 class that is also a 1,000-point scorer. And Zach Hicks has really refined his game as someone who can score in the mid-range, coming off screens, coming off pin downs, um, in that 12 to 15 foot range. And he's a three; he can shoot the three, but his his bread and butter seems to be scoring from the mid-range, uh, which is something I had talked to him about before. But like that's kind of his sweet spot: mid-range attacking, catch the ball, turn and face, and then make a decision from there. And he's he's pretty lethal with the ball in his hands. All right. So again. Uh, Temple has two games left so far. Again, there's a mailbag question about this. I don't know that they're going to be adding anything else to their schedule, but um, 
And again, they, it's another mailbag question about this too, what the roster is going to look like next year. Uh, they have one scholarship at the moment uh, that would be open for 2021. That would be if everybody comes back, we'll see if that's the case. But obviously fans are going to be keeping their eyes peeled uh, to follow the progress of Officer Miller and Zach Hicks, of course, two of the better players in the area. So we'll obviously have more coverage on them down the line. Flipping things over to football, you'll get another team that's had a bit of a roster overhaul due to all the transfers. We've talked about that. One guy that could get more snaps this year in the secondary is MJ Griffin, uh, freshman or redshirt freshman, I guess, from Saline High School out in Michigan. Um, Sam Newman talked to him. Uh, a story that we have out there for subscribers, got an interview with him, uh, talked about his relationship with Amir Tyler. Again, you can read that on the site. We don't want to give away the whole thing, but um, Sam, just if you could give us a glimpse of what that conversation was like with MJ and, uh, and we'll hear some audio from him in a second here. Well, yeah, no, MJ is one of those kids who came in with that 2019 class where it was like, okay, I'm being recruited by Jeff Collins and his staff. And then he signed his national letter of intent with, um, during Manny Diaz's 18 day tenure as the head coach. And then, you know, he was amongst the guys who was kind of like in, in the woodwork and you, could anybody blame him for going elsewhere if he's nine hours away from Detroit? No, but you know, he, he stuck with it. He, he was being recruited by Northern Illinois while he was there. So he wasn't unfamiliar with the staff and now he's formulated, you know, some nice relationships with Tyler Yelk in there. He, in the story, he talks about that, how he likes to be coached rather. He likes to be, um, you know, critiqued rather than complimented and, and, and is, is one of those players who likes to be coached hard. Um, what I kind of gathered is he kind of had to learn how to be patient and who better who to learn how to be patient from than Amir Tyler, because when you come from being one of the better players in your area, you, you come in with the chip in your shoulder, like, okay, I'm going to play it right away. But as I mentioned in my story, that's not really the football, pro- unless you're, uh, you know, a different breed of a player, like you're not coming in and playing right away at, a developmental program like Temple and MJ kind of had to learn that. And he's, you know, he's ready to, to make his presence known, but he, he's in, um, you know, embarking on that journey of, of being patient and, and understanding his role. I think you're going to see him more maybe in, in some packages where he'll play the nickel a little bit more. Um, unfortunately for him, he plays the same position as Amir Tyler and obviously Amir Tyler being a single digit player, one of the you know, most vocal players in Temple's locker room and, and being one of their better defensive players, he's going to play over MJ. I, I think t- what MJ was telling me, I didn't include this in, the story is that Temple wanted him to work on his mobility a little bit better. So that might be not why, why he, but you might not see him playing at that field safety position, but you're going to see him on special teams a good deal. I, I would imagine. And maybe more, just more defensively. They, I mean, you, for our subscriber content, what we had, I spoke with Jeff Knowles. He spoke highly about him. They've always spoke highly about him. I think he's a player who's ready to break out, but we'll wait and see. But um, you know, as, as John mentioned, we have, we have a clip of audio right here to share and, and here is MJ just talking about his relationship with Amir Tyler and how that's kind of benefited somebody coming from nine hours away and, and really learning how to acclimate himself within the program. I actually learned almost, I would say almost everything, you know, cause when I first came here, I didn't, you know, I didn't know anybody I'm from nine hours away. I didn't know a single soul really. So he just took me on his wing and I mean, him been like tight ever since. So, yeah, being on his wings, actually, he actually taught me a lot. You know, he taught me how the game goes. He taught me how practices go. He, t- he taught me how to how to show up in the weight room, how to act, you know, how to be around, you know what I'm saying, these coaches yeah. and how to, you know, like, especially on game day or for travel, he taught me how to do all that stuff. So he really helped me out and took me on his wing. 
All right. So great stuff again from Sam Newman. If you haven't had the chance to check out that story, please do. That's up on the site now. If you're an Alscoop dot com subscriber you can read that story would also strongly suggest that you check out uh sam Cohn's story as well on the the future is now for the owls again two of our uh two of our best pieces this week for our subscribers to so check them out when you get a chance we'll head over to the mailbag now these are questions from our subscribers um from the message boards we will check out the basketball mailbag here. Um, first question comes from D Thomas 96. Any idea for a team we could play in between the Wichita game and the conference tournament? Uh, I asked around on this a little bit uh, today. It's not looking likely. Um, I was told that they're likely done. The only conference foes that are missing are ECU and Memphis. And neither of those teams have openings um, in terms of non-conference games if you're thinking regionally, you know, the A-10 is going to be in their conference tournament pretty soon. Most of them are, are uh, most of the other teams out there that might be possibilities are committed to their conference schedules. So um, I don't think that you're going to see um, anything else there, like a situation like a Marquette that says, oh, hey, we'll go out to North Carolina or something like that. Uh, I don't think we're going to see anything like that on the horizon. Uh, next question, we'll have to pick one out here from uh, the screen name is The Hick. Uh, he has a ton of questions here. I'm trying to pick out one to answer. Uh, I don't know if guys were looking at this, but the first one is what, are, what is our barrier to winning? How do we get out of our offensive struggles? Uh, can we run set plays to get our best shooters open looks? It almost sounds like he just wants to ask these questions of, of Aaron McKee. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the best one to pick. All right, quick. What is the, what rapid, is the barrier to rapid win? fire? Well, okay. Oh, you want to do, I'll do, we'll do rapid fire with, with Sam Cohn here. I like that. What is our barrier to winning experience? How do we get out of our offensive struggles, including the inevitable four minute scoring drought? We seem to suffer through in every half health and an off season. Do you believe in the three is more than two dependence on three point, three point shooting? How can we get free from mid range jumpers? If you can shoot them at a high percentage. Yes. If not, then no, take where you can get it. If you're not shooting the ball well, get the ball inside and then bring the ball out and try again. I like this, Sam. Can we run set plays to get our best shooters open looks? Yes. <laughs> Watch any basketball game ever. That's usually how it works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they can, but they play pretty free-flowing offense. How do you handle the sight of your team making so many turnovers? Do you work on boxing out in practice? What is preventing our good athletes from getting a body on opponents? I, actually, I'm not following true rapid fire format here. So let's back up. How do you handle the sight of your team making so many turnovers? How do I handle it or how do they handle it? Um, I guess putting how this, do they handle it. I, I think he's putting it in the terms of like, how does Aaron McKee handle it? You know, yeah. uh, you tell your team to stop turning the ball over. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he doesn't handle it well. I'm sure he is harps on them a lot about turning the ball, limiting their turnovers. I mean, it's something that frustrates him a lot. Yeah. How do you work on boxing out in practice? Another no brainer. Um, so there's the drill where two people stand at the top of the elbow or on three point line and someone will shoot the ball and you'll miss on purpose. And then both those people or a third person or whomever will generally it's two on two. So like one person box out, one person has to get the rebound and you fight for it. Other one is you roll the ball out and you have to go dive at it. That's another way to like fight for balls. Uh, rebounding, a lot of rebounding is just heart and hustle. You can only teach so much about boxing. You got to put a body on someone. What is preventing our good athletes from getting a body on opponents to keep opponents off their offensive off their offensive boards? 
Uh, it's a play-to-play scenario. Sometimes they're in bad positions. Sometimes they're getting outside. Sometimes they just have a size disadvantage. It, it varies by play. Heart and hustle. <laughs> that too. Does the four-out offense make it nearly impossible to attack the offensive glass? No. If you shoot and everybody goes after the board, it's possible. But I guess in certain situations, you can be in a tough position. It can make it tougher. But I wouldn't say I wouldn't say anywhere near impossible. That's just a matter of a ball goes up and you can't ball watch. You have to go after the uh, after the glass. And not everybody can go after right. Like we've talked about that. That can really affect floor balance. If a bunch of people clumsily go in there, then you're creating a fast break opportunity. On the so the goal end. would be everybody, if everybody boxes out, then you're kind of in better positioning. Yeah. Um, a couple more here on the rapid fire front. How do you address the player's epidemic of leaving their feet as they approach the basket, which results in poor angles to get to the rim and or results in rampant turnovers when they try to throw the misguided late in the shot clock passes to the wings? Say that again. That sounded like two different questions. This is a mouthful. How do you address the player's epidemic of leaving their feet as they approach the basket, which results in poor angles to get to the rim and or results in rampant turnovers when they try to throw misguided late in the shot clock passes to the wings? So that means like you drive to the hoop, you go up for a shot, you realize you're not going to get a good look and then you pass it. Yeah, I'm assuming so. I would say, how do you fix that? Either take the shot and take the contact or see the floor and make the pass before you go up in the air. I don't know. I don't really have a clear answer for that one, I guess. All right. So that ends our rapid fire session with the hick. We appreciate his numerous questions. Uh, Next question comes from TU Al's fan 2004 might've asked this last year, but what's your go-to song for the first nice day outside? I'm assuming this is because it was 54 degrees and, and sunny yesterday, which was, uh, it probably felt like 75 to us after all this snow. I'll turn this over to you guys first. What's your, what's your go-to song for the first nice day outside? Sam Cohn, you take it first. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, I'm obviously going to go with an Oasis song here. I think um, for me, I, I immediately thought of Don't Look Back in Anger because, I mean, of the lyric, you know, step outside, summertime's a bloom, even though, you know, it's still February and it's it's not um, summertime and it's not like that. But, you know, it's a great song, one that popped in my head. A few others uh, off the same album, maybe some might say Cast No Shadow. Uh, What's the Story Morning Glory is a terrific album. And then off definitely maybe I would say Supersonic. But if I had to pick one, it would be Don't Look Back in Anger. I don't know if I have one right now. I was saying before we hopped on the podcast that I vividly remember being in John's office recording this last year and getting this question and John and I going back and forth with songs. Uh, I, but I will stick with my same answer that I went with last year just because I don't know if I have a new one. And that is the song Floats My Boat by Air, A-E-R. That's a great like summer, nice weather, standing on my roof with the sun beating down on my face, getting sunburned. And that's a, that's a great summer tune. I think John could give us like 30 different answers here. I, you, know, you know which one I like? And then I, 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 a quick Oasis story for you, Sam. Like my one beef with Oasis. My song, and I do, I, I think of a lot of them, but have you guys ever heard Summer Madness by Cool and the Gang? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an instrumental by Cool and the Gang, and it's the one that DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince sampled for Summertime. Do you know yeah, that? I've probably heard of it before. It's one of those where like, if you, I, I heard it, I'd probably know it. I think you even hear it. I think there's even a short clip of it in Rocky and it's not in any sort of like summer scene, but it's just this great 
70s synth part and uh like just this heavy bass line i i I just love it and again it's just even if it's just slightly spring-like outside i can't say i listened to it yesterday but that would be my song sam here's my one beef with oasis so kyle teases me about this band he oh every four months six months he just did it recently a few days ago i said what's your what's your methodology on this is it just is it just comedy is it just instinct um I'm a, I'm a big, still am a big NXS fan. They were a big Australian rock band. They were kind of at their height in the mid eighties, um, early nineties. They were kind of, you know, up there with U2, REM, sold a ton of records, played a lot of, a lot of, you know, big arenas and stuff like that. And then, oh, some, I forget the exact year, um, some point in the nineties. Oh, the, the, the Brit awards in 1996, Michael Hutchins, who unfortunately later took his own life was, was really charismatic frontman for NXS. Uh, they won this British video and it was presented by Michael Hutchins and Noel Gallagher comes up and says that has been, shouldn't be presenting awards to gonna bees. And I was like, damn, no, that's, that's, that's harsh. And it bothered Michael Hutchins. I thought, I love both these bands. You know, it's, it's not unlike them to be polarizing, but that's my one beef with Oasis. Yeah. I mean, that's just who they were. I mean, they were, I mean, they were, they were probably on, you know, they were probably on drugs on the time that to be on. <laughs> and I, but I will say too, um, the other cool thing about them is we were talking recently about the BG's documentary on, on HBO, which is, is fantastic. And they're a band that's, that's close to my heart. I'm, older but I, I think they're they're brilliant and they talk about the dynamic between brothers and noel gallagher's feature a lot on that one you know makes a, a bunch of cracks about you know the the ups and downs of of being in a band with you know with your brother because they've they've certainly had their their misgivings and all that stuff so um some good oasis content this week um always a uh, fan of oasis content i'm here for it yeah a few more <laughs> to to get to here um Next one comes from HBG Al. Might be too late to get this question in. You're not HBG Al, so appreciate it. Uh, but based upon the scholarship situation right now, if Taj Thweet transfers from West Virginia and wanted to come to Temple, do you think McKee should sign him? Why or why not? I know what my answer is, and it and it depends. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Uh, I, I mean, I raised my hand. I'll take a crack at this first. I, I would say yes. You they should sign him. There, there's not really a downside to it for me, but. Um, you know, I, I think he's a player that would definitely fit well in the scheme. I think this also with the caveat that you're expecting maybe one or both of Arashma and, and Ty leaving in that scenario. If if you have those scholarship spots open up and maybe one if one or both of them leave in, in terms of JP and, and Dre and maybe a more roster attrition than we would have thought, yes, absolutely, you take Taj to the walk. But I, I don't know if we can really say that and sit here and say that we don't know what's going to happen, but say that that does happen. Yes, absolutely. You take him in and don't think twice about him. Sam Cohen. If, if you are losing guys and you have extra scholarships, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't take him. If you only have one more scholarship with this 2021 class, I would say no, because he's six, seven and all this talk about needing a big and needing someone in the interior and needing someone to get rebounds. Touch three, six, seven. I probably wouldn't take him if you have one scholarship. If you have a handful to work with, I can't see why you wouldn't. Yep, you guys nailed it. Just depends on what happens with roster attrition. Um, you know, whether they get a transfer big, doesn't even have to be a grad transfer now. I think they do need somebody who can rebound, be a rim protector. That's not really his game. Um, and again, you know, I, I've been told that, um, 
you know, if he starts to get a few more minutes again for a very good West Virginia team, maybe he doesn't transfer at all. Obviously he's extremely close with Julio White. They both played together at Wildwood Catholic, but yeah, if, if the roster stays the same and my guess is that it won't, we don't know for sure. No, I, I agree with you. He, I, he would not be the one scholarship I would use. I think I would go with a, a scoring guard or a, a big uh, before that. But if the room's there, sure, you take him if he wants to come back home. Um, uh, this is, a, this is a, a very involved question. Screen name 82Al. Although it is still months away, if you had a crystal ball, what would the starting offense and defense look like ne- for next year? That's, um, that's for football. I, don't, I mean – I don't know how in depth you guys want to want to go with this. Yeah, like rapid fire this one. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay. Let's just do it with a caveat that that Jaden Blue and Randall Jones are staying put. Yeah, which appears to be the case. Um, I mean, we could we could. I mean, I could kind of run point here. Starting quarterback next year. Uh, Deuce Mathis. Sam Cohn. Sorry, I was on mute. Deuce Mathis. Sam, you can take this one. Let's um, Sam fire away. Starting tailback. Uh, Iverson Clement. Hmm. Sam Combe? Again, we can let Sam Sam Newman take these. Oh, oh, I thought you meant. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No, yeah, I can do the rapid fire since Sam got the other rapid yeah, fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, starting tailback, Iverson Clement. Um, starting wide outs again, assuming that they're going with uh, three. I, I would say Jaden, Randall Jones, and um, – I would, I would say Ahmad Anderson Jr. too, just because he can play inside-outside. I don't know if they're ready to put Jordan Smith on the outside just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's on the line? Um, left to right, go Isaac Moore, left tackle, Michael Neese at left guard. Um, or maybe, no, uh, yeah, Michael Neese at, at left guard. Hmm. Um, CJ Perez at center. Adam Klein at right? No, um Adam Klein at either right guard and or right tackle, and then Wisdom Corsi at either right guard or right tackle. I don't. Those two are I feel like are interchangeable, but I I, I did like how Nice played at, at left guard at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Tight end, probably an easy one. Uh, yeah, Martin Robinson. Yeah, we got everything there, right? Yeah, we got we got offense entirely. All right, defensive line. Um, I would say interior. I would say to start off the year, if everything goes according to plan, Zach Gill and Weston Kramer. Mm-hmm. And then I guess maybe um, coming off the edge, I would say Manny Walker and Evan Boozer. Uh, linebacker. Oh, no. Actually, I would say Manny Walker and, and Will Rogers. Yeah, so, there you go. There you go. Uh, how about a linebacker? Linebackers, I think obvi- I think this is a tough one. I think Kobe Wilson, Van D. Rigby, and um, Will Quincu. Yeah, and again, we're kind of kind of going simple here. Four three. We realize that there are a bunch of different variations, but doing this off the top of our head. Uh, how about a corner? Uh, Keyshawn Paul and Elijah Clark. Hmm. Interesting. And safety. Amir Tyler and Alex Odom. There we go. All right. Good job, Sam. Uh, next question here. Speaking of Weston Kramer, D Blaze seventy five has a two part question. And again, it kind of plays into what we we're just talking about the football roster. The commitment of defensive tackle Weston Kramer seems to be an underrated, very good pick uh, of a player who can come in right away and make a difference. What are your thoughts on him? Uh, you know, Kyle had tweeted this out at the time that they got him as a transfer. Obviously, the staff is familiar with him. He's coming in from Northern Illinois. Um, and this is from Kyle's tweet out of interior defensive linemen who played at least 100 snaps in 2020. 
Weston Kramer was ranked as the seventh best run defender in the nation by pro football focus. Again, I know some people love the pro football focus stuff. They put out some people, you know, kind of say, well, you know, I, I, I believe in some of it. I don't believe in all of it, but I, yeah, I think we can agree. It's a, a, a much needed pickup for them in the, in the interior of the line, Sam, but you would, you would, uh, um, you would talk to CJ Perez about this, yeah. right? I've spoken with CJ Perez and obviously CJ was teammates with him at Northern Illinois. At the same time, he probably went up against him in practice um, interior defense, all interior offensive line. CJ Perez said, um, Weston is a high energy, high effort guy that plays with a lot of intensity. He's a strong kid that plays very aggressive, funny, goofy guy that loves making people laugh. He's going to help our team a lot. And then I asked him, it seems like you guys, like just saying, like a standard statement, seems like it's a really good get for you guys. And he said, absolutely. I think he'll help our defense a lot and will definitely have a positive effect on the guys off the field as well. Second part of his question, and I think this is a good one. What are your thoughts on the Owls' current cornerback situation? Keyshawn Paul, Ty Mason, and Freddie Johnson, I suppose, are the top three right now. The rest are so young. Do the Owls likely add a transfer with one year remaining or at least two to three years? Any potential transfers? come to mind. I agree that it's a, I don't want to say a huge hole on the roster, but a definite area of concern. I would say, um, Sam, you, you said Keyshawn Paul and Elijah Clark kind of forsaking Freddie Johnson, uh, Ty Mason. Um, yeah, that was just a shot in the dark. I, I no, mean, no, I, no, no. And that's good. I mean, what do you think they do here? Do you think they try to add another transfer, you know, just to add some experience? When I spoke with Jeff Knowles, it seemed like that they're going to add a cornerback. I would, I, in my personal opinion, I think that they add two. They try to add somebody who has a year left and then maybe somebody who has more like considered like team control, except it's college. So maybe a couple more years of eligibility, but I think you're going to see a lot of the guys in the mix here. I think they're going to mix and match a lot. They're going to play three defensive backs. I think, I think right now you could probably, I mean, maybe I'll take back my answer. I, I don't know. I think Elijah Clark might end up being the starter, but I think Freddie Johnson, Freddie Johnson has not really been able, a guy who's been able to stay on the field a lot. I feel like he's been hurt a lot and he's had off the field issues as well. Um, Keyshawn Paul, I mean, we've everything we've heard about him. So I, I think the most corners we're probably going to see right now they are on the roster are Keyshawn Paul, Ty Mason, and, and Elijah Clark with Freddie Johnson kind of sprinkled in. And I mean, there's some intrigue there because we know that, yeah, obviously UConn did not play football this past fall when they did two years ago. Keyshawn Paul was very good, you know, very good player. One of the, one of the, not a stretch to say one of the better cornerbacks, um, you know, one of the better cornerbacks in the country, pretty good player. Elijah Clark has got some size, you know, but again, depending on how much you want to make out of last season with all these guys playing and then missing time, Elijah Clark definitely had his ups and downs. Um, Freddie Johnson, we know how lightning quick he was coming out of high school. He was, he's a converted receiver. We just have to see if he can put it together. Um, he's with a lot of hamstring injuries though. Yeah. yeah. And I just have here my notes, like, I don't know, maybe, and again, these guys are young. Uh, does a guy like Dayon Hawkins from the Haverford school, you know, you know, does he turn the corner? Does a guy like Garrett Williams turn the corner? It's, it's so tough because this is where we feel out of touch. And I think we've said this before. We feel fortunate to be able to cover games, whether we're in the press box or on Zoom. But there was no spring ball last year. We, we have to see what spring ball may or may not be like. You learn so much, even if you can only watch the last 15 or 20 minutes of practice, if you see anything at all, um, sometimes if you just see special teams work and that's what they let you see, then it is what it is. And you can't really make stuff up, but you know, if you can see some stuff here and there, you know, when Rod Carey and his staff first came in, I think his first six or seven preseason, 
practices were wide open. It was great. And you can be there and you can hear them say twos, twos, get out there. And you can say, okay, okay. Um, hmm, Freddie Johnson's running with the twos. Maybe, maybe he is going to get beat out here. And Oh, look, Elijah Clark had a good rep there. Or, you know, Dayon Hawkins is in and he had a good rep there. He had several good reps there. Then you can kind of really start to intelligently form your opinions. It's just been so hard to do that. But it's, I mean, it's one of the biggest no, you know, no shit statements of the year. It's like, this is such a critically, critically, critically important spring for them. And I think Rod Carey's kind of, you know, like Matt Rule, um, like Al Golden in the past, where they're pretty genuine with you. If a, if a guy's starting to come around, they just start mentioning their name. You know, I think Jeff Collins tried to get a little too cute with that stuff at times. But, you know, I think in the spring, when you talk to a coach and you can say, yeah, who's flashing, who looks good? We, we don't know yet, but that's obviously a huge area of concern. So we'll see if, we'll see what happens there. Uh, last question here comes from Mission Man, another good one. With all the starters who, for one reason or another, are no longer with us, who either graduated or hit the portal, uh, do the, uh, the moves we've made in response, do we have enough of a nucleus that we're in a positive state with our path now to build upon it, which would be two thumbs up, or have we been hit so hard that we actually have to rebuild it where a winning record over the next year or two is unlikely. And I think that's, that's really what we're looking at with football, right? I mean, it's interesting not to get too far off track. Aaron McKee and, and Rod Carey are both going to be entering critical third years next year as, as head coaches, separate sports, separate circumstances. But, um, I think that's the biggest question that Mission Man is hitting on here. Can they replace what they lost? Um, you know, are the are the guys who take over gonna gonna put a chip on their shoulder and say, "Hey, it was addition by subtraction. You don't want to be here. Get the hell out of here. We got it." If Will Rogers can take take over here, you know, Keyshawn Paul can take over there. Christian Braswell, if you don't want to be here, I can step in. So, how, I guess his question is: Have they been gutted enough to the point where they're going to be a sub five hundred team? Or do they have enough where they can be at least maybe a, a bowl eligible team and they can say, all right, they, they might have something here. Again, this is minus spring ball, minus preseason camp. This is very much off the top of our heads as we sit here on, you know, on February 25th. What do you guys think? Have they lost too much to where that we you kind of have to lower your expectations and say maybe they're four and eight team, five and seven team? Or do you think they got enough out of the transfer portal and maybe a couple of impact true freshmen where they could be at least a six and six team or at best maybe a seven and five team? Can can I say yes and no? Like I, I think you can say I mean, whatever you want, Sam. Okay. So I and let's say yes on the surface that so they've lost a lot of their nucleus, but that team also did go one and six last year. I think people need to be reminded of that. Um, yeah, there was a lot of external circumstances with COVID, but they still, the rec, as Bill Parcell says, your record says what your record says. You are what your record says. So, I mean, if you look at it from the grand scheme of the basketball the team, of see all the roster turnover and then see a team who didn't have that necessary time to gel, you see what's happening right now. They're learning how to play with each other in their five and 10. So if that happens, if we have, if for some reason, I know there's expectation that not to get, you know, into COVID right now, but the expectation is, is the vaccine will continue to roll out and we'll probably have a better looking football season than we did this past year. But if, you know, they're not allowed to do what we think they're going to do and somehow that, you know, that gets lost in translation and they're not able to have the spring ball that, you know, they might've expected to then. Okay. I'm going to look at it and say, okay, this is a team that's going to have to learn on the fly four and eight, five and seven. But for me, I'm looking at this this as a team who's going to be able to get in that spring practice. They're going to be able to gel and whatnot right now. I would say just looking at the roster, I see them as a 500 team just because I think you're asking a lot of players to do, to step up. You're asking players to immediately gel. You're asking a guy, 
guy like Deuce Mathis, who, you know, he doesn't have, he has started one game in his career. So you're asking a lot out of players to do, do much, but I think on paper, on paper, I, I think that they did as much as they can to, to replace that nucleus. And I think they went in the transfer portal and they got it a lot out of it and they still can very much, you know, stick their hand in, in, in the hat and pull out more names. So, you know what I, I today, I, I think that they're fine. But, you know, they're like I said, they have that caveat to where, like, if they're not able to have that spring practice, not able to gel, you might see similar to what happened with basketball. All right. Here's, here's John DiCarlo submitting. Oh, go ahead, Sam. Go ahead. I just really quickly. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to lower your expectations just because of the success they've had in the transfer portal and bring guys in. But as Sam mentioned, I think there's a there's a part of you, you the part of the fan that has to manage their expectations for what to expect a year after a COVID season and with all these new faces uh, for in Rod Carey's third year, I think there, there has to be part of you that manages your expectations for the, you can't have these lofty goals and expectations of a, of a bowl team um, after all the turnover they've had. And, you know, in Rod Carey's third year and following a COVID year, I think you at least have to manage that, but lower expectations is a little much just because I think they have had a lot of success in the portal. All right. So here's, here's my mailbag question for the two of you. And again, it's football related if Temple is going to be a six and six or seven and five bowl eligible team next year, it's because this guy had a great season on offense and this guy had a great season on defense. You can go obvious here. You can go, you know, a little bit less than obvious. Uh, Sam Cohen, we'll start with you and then we'll go to, to Sam Newman. I think uh, I'll go obvious for my offensive answer. I think if, if Deuce Mathis comes in and is a really good quarterback, gets a starting job, has a successful season, fills a need at quarterback, I think that's that's huge for your offense. And if you do keep guys like um, Randall Jones, if you if you can keep that receiving core together, uh, if Deuce Mathis kind of make things work offensively, it starts with him. So I'm I'm gonna go obvious for offense. Uh, for defense, I'm gonna say Will Rogers. Um, I think if that defensive line and that front seven, I think has more success than they did last year. If they can rebuild that front seven and that D line, I think that would, that would be huge for Temple. Um, yeah. Can I, I'm going to piggyback on Sam's answer for, I think the offense one is just too obvious. I think it, a lot of it depends on the quarterback position. I think they just have so much, so many pieces around returning. I mean, obviously it all depends on pieces that they added to where like, yeah, things can happen, but I, I think it all depends on the play of the quarterback at the end of the day. And if Deuce, I think the obvious answer is Deuce Mathis. Deuce Mathis. Um, in defense, I want to go a little bit out of the box. I was thinking of might like want to do another transfer like Sam, but I'm going to say Will Quenku. I think if Will Quenku has a great year, things will be looking up, especially because, I mean, you know, he, he played pretty well last year. He got a slow start, but I mean, this is what his sixth year in the program coming up. So why not? I, I want, let's roll the dice on Will. I'm going to go. Can I answer my own mailbag question? Is that a violation or no? I don't think it's a we'll allow it. We'll allow it. We'll allow um, it this time. Yeah. On offense, don't let it happen again, though. Don't let it happen again, DeCarlo. We're going to have a problem. Uh, I'm going to go Rayvon Bonner on offense. Yeah, he's about, as of now, we're looking at just the, the heights and weights that are listed on the roster. Rayvon's a, a little bit of a bigger back uh, than Iverson Clement, you know, and. You know, we're, we don't want to exclude Tavon Rooley. I think Tavon Rooley, in a perfect world, is giving you, you know, five or 10 carries a game as opposed to like 15 or 20. I think if Rayvon Bonner, and again, both these guys are kind of rested. Rayvon Bonner played some and then opted out. And then Iverson Clement has been, you know, very lightly used at Florida. 
you know, you look at, and again, I mean, the, the obvious answer is, is Dewan Mathis, Deuce Mathis. He's got some pieces around him. If, if Jaden Blue and Randall Jones have indeed decided, uh, you know, to stick around and you've got David Martin Robinson, if you've got several guys coming back on the offensive line and, you know, maybe some of these younger guys come along like a Devon Fox or maybe a Quezzy Evans. We'll see who flashes in the spring. You've got some playmakers around you, but, you know, as much of, uh, you know, sometimes back and forth headache uh, that Ray Davis could be, you, you did lose your starting tail back there. We'll see how much he plays at Vanderbilt, but he's gone. And if, if a guy like Bonner can come in and give you 15, 18 carries a game, and can steady the offense and allow them to establish a running game. I think that gives them, gives them a real shot on defense. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Keyshawn Paul, because again, I mean, what, what conference doesn't throw the ball a lot. I mean, yeah, you could say that some big 10 teams are kind of old school and like to pound the rock a little bit more than throw it. But, you know, again, a lot of people like to go four and five wide, but especially in the American, they do. And if he's as good as advertised, and he's a Miami kid, played at Jackson High School down there. If he can come in and you have one, as cliche as it sounds, if you have one lockdown corner and he can be something similar to, you know, to a, um, you know, to a, a Sean Chandler or a Rock Yassin or something like that. I'm not saying he's that, that exact type of player, but, you know, if you have one guy that's going to limit damage on one side of the field for a league that, that throws so much, whether it's UCF or even Tulsa is coming around and Houston and all these teams that they, that they have to play. I think if he has a really good season, um, you know, again, we're not minimizing what they lost in terms of Ifan Maje and especially Arnold Ebiketti. I think if you get a really good year from him, I think you got a, you got a shot. So There I go, answering my own mailbag question. So anyway, that'll do it for this week. Thanks so much for uh, sticking with us for the extra day. We normally record on a Wednesday, get this out on Thursday, but we wanted to record after last night's game and get this out uh, to you guys. You'll probably be hearing this either later tonight or uh, Friday morning. Uh, So we'll be back with you next week. Hopefully Kyle will be with us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.